This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Overcoming great challenges like COVID-19 requires great cooperation. This is Dan Hilferty, CEO of Independence Blue Cross. Most of us never imagined we'd be facing an outbreak of this magnitude. But in the face of this challenge, hospitals, public officials, and business leaders have come together. Through effective cooperation, these leaders are taking steps to keep us safe. Slowing the rate of infection from the virus will help hospitals care for those who need attention most. Remember, stay home. Leave only for essential needs. Stay informed from sources like the CDC or Department of Health. Take a break from watching the news. Stay well, exercise, and practice self-care to make sure you're physically and mentally fit. In our great region, we have a tradition of caring for each other and cooperating to get things done. We'll do it again now. For more, visit ibx.com slash COVID-19. Together, we will beat COVID-19. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. Radio.com station. From the Malamud and Associates Law Studios, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independent. Blue Cross. That is a very, very robust, vigorous achu sneeze. That's what that is. And that's not what we're talking about. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning on this beautiful Sunday, and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm happy to be your host. Dr. Marianne Ritchie, and we have three terrific guests today to talk about the emergency departments across the nation and changes during the pandemic. For emergency medicine doctors, every day is intense. They're evaluating patients who sustain injury from trauma, have chest pain, high fever, excessive bleeding. By late April, there were multiple reports of a growing trend in emergency departments across the country. Fewer people were coming to the hospital with classic symptoms of heart attack and stroke. Patients were afraid of exposure to COVID, and many decided to try to wait it out at home. And in many cases, this led to much sicker patients with more severe consequences. Today, we'll be speaking to three emergency medicine physicians from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. Each of these doctors is a leader in their department. You'll hear about changes brought about by COVID, how telehealth is altering our style of care, and when to go to urgent care versus the emergency department. We begin with Dr. Theodore Christopher, the Green Family Foundation and John and Patricia Walsh Professor and Chair of the Department of Emergency Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University. Welcome, my friend. So good to have you here. Uh, Thanks, Marianne. Thanks for having me. Of course. Ted, what have you been seeing at Jefferson in terms of ER visits? Well, I think you're absolutely uh, right. Uh, We've been seeing a, a sharp uh, decline in the number of patients who are actually coming to the emergency department. Um, in fact, uh, 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 we just about mirror what's happening in the country, about a 40 percent um, decrease in patient volume. But uh, those who are coming are sicker. But, um, but you're right. Um, I think because of fear of coming to the emergency department, I think uh, because of the um, 
of the stay-at-home um, orders with the uh, city from the government. I think less people are coming to work. I think there's less um, uh, people driving cars. And so th- there is just, I think, less emergency uh, patients out there that come and see us. And, and you're right, Ted. I didn't even think about that. In a big city like Philadelphia, where fewer people are in the workplace during the day, Maybe somebody who gets sick at work or has chest pain at work, they're not coming to our hospital in particular. I hadn't even thought about that, sure. And um, as you say, with fewer cars on the road, hopefully fewer car accidents, and uh, children aren't playing sports, so they're not uh, coming in with uh, broken arms and such. Although I did read a report the other day from um, Children's Hospital that because kids are at home and they're on trampolines and jumping on the couch and that kind of thing, they're still having injuries, hopefully fewer uh Um, Then I noticed on April 22, the American Heart Association issued a statement urging patients, don't wait, call 911. Did you see that? Uh, Yeah, so heart attacks and and chest pain, uh, uh, in emergency medicine, we all like to talk about time-dependent diagnoses. So if you have chest pain, if you have weakness on one side, that could be a heart attack or a stroke. And and we're definitely seeing, and across the country, 50% decrease in our patients who have chest pain who are coming to the emergency department uh, who are having heart attacks. So it's not that heart attacks are less, it's just we're seeing less of them. So uh, these uh, time-dependent diagnoses, the strokes and the heart attacks and, uh, and the abdominal pains that could be acute appendicitis and, uh, and acute abdominal emergencies, all these things, uh, we're just seeing less patients coming to the emergency department for uh, these uh, very critical and very sick time-dependent diagnoses. Sure. And even something as... Um, I, I hate to uh, sound like I'm minimizing, but uh, like bread and butter that you usually see in the emergency room, as you say, appendicitis. You wait on that and the appendix ruptures. It's a lot more serious. They could, the patient could have an abscess or what we call peritonitis. Or I read a paper, a story in the paper the other day about a young woman with pneumonia who came too late and died. She was 35 years old. And we see elderly people who might have a bladder infection. And when it gets into their bloodstream, they, they become septic. And they can be acutely ill and seriously ill, and uh, we can't wait with them. So now that you've dealt with COVID for three months, Ted, you're much better prepared if, hopefully not, but if we see another spike for whatever reason. Yeah, there's no question that um, I think it's changed, uh, I think, the way that um, every emergency department now is going to function. I, I think we're all prepared for the next respiratory pathogen or the next, um, I think, virus or even um, I think a reintroduction of the COVID virus to um, hit us all again. So, but uh, this time around, the second time around, we will all be much better prepared. We'll have our, our PPE, our protective uh, 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 equipment like masks and uh, gowns and gloves and face shields and goggles and all those things. Um, much better prepared, much better stocked for that. I think the emergency departments um, are going to change how we see our patients. There'll be the, there'll be the same social distancing in emergency departments that we uh, have now um, um, outside in the clinics and, and just in restaurants and uh, in places of work. Um, I think you might see a lot of triage, which is as you first um, enter the emergency department, uh, I think some of that uh, might actually happen outside the emergency department. And if it's really not an emergency, then you might get sent, I think, someplace else. If you need an X-ray only, or 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 medication refill, things that um, th- that in the past, believe it or not, 
um, uh, patients have come to see us for, these things just might be a little bit different, and, and you might get sent uh, someplace else to um, have these things done. So um, I think it's going to change how we all, um, I think, think about the emergency department. Now, that said, I think we're very safe. Uh, we are extremely well protected. Um, uh, very few, if any of our workers, uh, our employees, our doctors, our nurses, our techs, um, have um, um, have become COVID positive over the last few months. Uh, very few. In fact, I know of none. Um, early on, I think when we were all dealing with this, uh, yes, we had a few. And, and in fact, you'll hear from, uh, I think, one of our attendings uh, as your next speaker. Uh, but, um, but since that time, everybody's been uh, wearing masks. Everybody has a face shield now. We are all extremely well protected, and our patients will be well protected. And you make a good point, Ted, that um, when even when people coming into the emergency department, you have multiple waiting rooms now, and you're making sure that people are sitting apart, and you're screening patients. And, and I know um, that you can even use telehealth when people first come in and get the ball started while they're waiting. Maybe they can talk to maybe an ER doc or an ER nurse and start with questions and, and help to triage uh, and decide uh, where people should go, or maybe they can uh, get started with a, an x-ray first. Yeah, so, and I think you're gonna hear from Dr. Hollander, um, who's our telehealth expert at, yes. at uh, Jefferson, uh, and, and you're absolutely right. Uh, so it's redefined, uh, telehealth is actually redefined um, how we screen some patients at the door in the emergency department. So um, you will get in front of a, a booth, a TV screen, and, and you talk to a, a doctor or a provider um, who is remote, and, and they will help us uh, all decide um, who has to really come into the emergency department. Right. It's such a clever use, really uh, innovative use of telehealth. So, Ted, this obviously has been an unusually time for you as our faculty and the nurses and everyone who works in the ED because you're seeing a lot of people with a new disease that you've never seen before and then many fewer cases of the typical problems. Um, and you've seen so many uh, outpourings of hard work and caring from your colleagues and staff that that has led you to, re to naming a hero of the day from either the other physicians or nurses or emergency medical staff. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I decided, uh, um, um, and so what can I do as a chair of, of this department? Uh, I have so many uh, great heroes and so many great people who work to, um, to uh, make up a team that, that is just incredible. So every day uh, I've written a paragraph or so about a, a faculty hero, but um, I've also deviated. Um, I think one day it was the emergency nurses. Another day it was the uh, Philadelphia paramedics. Another day it, it was the emergency environmental services staff. Another day it was the emergency uh, department technician. So this is a team. Uh, we have so many heroes, uh, Marianne, I can't even, uh, even, uh, even begin to tell you. In the paragraph, it's not enough to uh, uh, acknowledge all the hard work and dedication and, uh, and, dedication and compassion uh, with which all of these uh, folks have functioned. Oh, I know that. And I, I mean, how many thousands of people have you treated in your lifetime, Ted? You can't begin to count. And, and just being patient and kind and reassuring to a patient, sometimes that's all they need because they're not having a heart attack or they're not seriously ill. But think of all the contacts that make a difference in a person's life, especially in the emergency room where they look around and see other people who are incredibly sick. 
And at this time of absolute fear in so many people, uh, we're very grateful to you as the uh, chair of the Department of Emergency uh, Medicine uh, at Jefferson, as well as your faculty and the good influence that you have on them as a role model that, that's keeping our community healthy and safe and they know they're in good hands. So Ted, you have an enormously busy schedule. Thank you for joining us today. Stay well and hopefully we'll outsmart COVID before it has a chance to continue. Oh, thank you, Marianne. And, and uh, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, our pleasure. And that's jeffconnect.org. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.com. And welcome back. I now have the pleasure to introduce my colleague, Dr. Anna-Marie Chang, an Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine and the Director of Clinical Research in Emergency Medicine at Jefferson University Hospital. Anna-Marie, welcome. We are so kind to join us today because Dr. Chang has a very unique story about her own experience with COVID-19. Welcome, Anna-Marie. Thanks, Marianne. It's great to be here. Thank you. Now, as I mentioned, you've had a unique experience. Um, what was happening in Philly at the time that you first found that you might have COVID? So I was diagnosed with COVID in mid-March. So this was fairly early in the um, United States kind of um, uh trajectory Awareness. on COVID. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. trajectory. So, um, you know, in the in the weeks uh, prior to me working, we were at the point where, you know, patients would come in with their respiratory symptoms, you know, some of them wondering if they had COVID. And I would say, you know, you may, you may not. We don't know a lot about the disease. And furthermore, you know, you didn't come from China or any of these high-risk places. And at that point, it was really only China. Um, so I don't even have the ability to test you. Um, wow. And so it was very early. Right. And uh, even mobile testing had just started, right? Yes. So um, Jefferson's mobile testing, the day had only gone um, live it was their fourth day in action when I got tested. Hmm. So how did your symptoms begin? What made you think to get tested? So I, um, you know, I was actually still coming into the office to do some work. Um, and that morning it was Tuesday morning. I came into the office and, uh, I had a very mild dry cough. And I really wasn't even thinking anything of it. Um, And it was actually one of my colleagues in the office suite said, hey, you know, because you are a healthcare worker, we don't know what's going on. Like, you should probably go get tested. Um, Mm. So I actually waited until the day um, and went to the mobile testing site um, after my call on JustConnect to get the test ordered. Um, you know, before I went home, thinking really, you know, nothing of it. (laughs) 
And, and you were so thoughtful. You said, I don't know if I have it, but you chose to walk home and not take public transportation to protect other people. That's, that's pretty thoughtful of you. And then what happened when you got home? Well, so my walk home doesn't take that long. It's like, you know, half an hour or so. It's only about a mile and a half. And um, I had gone from this mild cough to being like and, and totally fine to everything hurts. I feel like when I have a fever, so I checked my temperature, and I was almost 103 by then. Um, And so at that point, I was like, okay, well, I guess something's going on. And, um, you know, I had stayed off the public transportation, and at that moment, I said to my boyfriend, okay, well, until I get my test results, we're going to act like I have COVID, you know, and separate and isolate. (laughs) Sure, sure. And then um, I know that was a Tuesday of St. Patrick's Day. And by Friday, you found out your COVID test was positive. And, and then what happened on Saturday? You said one of your friends stopped by and dropped something off. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things, so we were talking and, you know, I'd been texting with my friends Um some of them are also physicians. And I said, hey, you know, and they were super nice and said, well, since, you know, you're self-isolating, you know, do you guys need anything at home? We're going to the grocery store. And I said, well, actually, if you're going to the grocery store, you know, any of these shopping plazas, do you mind stopping by a store and getting me a pulse oximeter? Um, and so, you know, an hour later, they dropped one off at my door. <laughs> Uh, and for our listeners, a pulse ox, maybe if you've ever had a procedure, we'll put a little plastic uh, clip on your finger and it measures your oxygen levels at room air. So without the help of a ventilator or something, we want your oxygen levels to be 95 or higher. Um, and yours was initially 96. And then by Monday, two days later, what happened? So um, I just kind of, you know, would check it intermittently, um, you know, also my temperature intermittently throughout the day, um, you know, and every kind of Sunday was a little bit lower and Monday it was definitely lower, you know, again, as you said, normal above for a normal healthy person, probably above 96 is where you want to be. And mm-hmm. by Monday I was like down to 91%. Um, and that was when I was like, oh, this is not very good. Um, and, um, you know, I texted my colleagues, um, you know, to figure out what should I do? Like, is this, uh, you know, okay? Is this not okay? You know, it's, it's hard when it's your own health. And sometimes, you know, we don't uh, make the right decisions about our own sure. health. Sure. Sure. It's, it's, you know, they say physician heal thyself, but it's hard to be objective about yourself or a loved one. And you told me that even taking a shower that day was a struggle. So at what point did you say, this is scary, your level dropped to 88 and you called Jeff Stat and went to the hospital by ambulance? What convinced you to do that finally? Um, my colleagues. I mean, really, it came down to that. You know, I had said like, OK, it's 91. And then after my shower and trying to get dressed. Um, it was down to 88 mm. and I said, and also, you know, I have been coughing about the same amount as I had previously, but now I was coughing and there was a little bit of blood in there oh. and all of those symptoms combined. I was like, it's, um, 
I don't think I can handle this at home by myself anymore. No. Aw. But you were so thoughtful. You didn't call Uber and infect somebody else. You called an ambulance. That's the way to do it. And by that point, you told me you were super achy, had a terrible headache and nausea and even GI symptoms. That, that's pretty convincing. So they admit you to the hospital, Anna Marie. And what went through your mind? Did you think your life was in danger? I was scared. I mean, I'm, again, young and healthy. And, you know, other than like a same-day surgery, I've never, you know, been a patient myself in the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, I was definitely scared and nervous. Um, you know, I had actually, my sister lives out in Seattle, and I had actually started texting her and sending her all of my, like, passwords for my various accounts, um, which I think is my, like, I am worried. <laughs> like, of course. I, I'm worried and I need to get my affairs in order. Well, um, and, and, and you've taken care of so many hundreds and thousands of patients, but then you're the patient and you're in that room where you can't have visitors and the staff comes in in a limited amount uh, quantity. So you understand better than any of us the loneliness a patient feels, the monitors all around you, and we can handle that a little bit better because we look at it scientifically, but you understand the anxiety of a layperson looking at the monitors and hearing the beeps. So after they started treatment, how long was it before you were able to go home? Um, I went home after four days. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I finally came in. I want to say it was Wednesday, and I finally left on Saturday. And, my, and by that point, was I feeling amazing? No, but, you know, I was at the point where, like, my GI symptoms had decreased, and um, I was starting to be able to, like, you know, water ice was my favorite thing um, at oh. that point, um, and I could keep that down. And so I said, you know, if this is kind of, you know, and my oxygen saturations weren't going any lower. So I said, if this is the point, then, you know, I can do the rest of this at home. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think my physicians, my doctors and I kind of agreed that I was out of the danger zone and, you know, the the kind of convalescing portion could take place at home. Sure. And I, and I, in fact, I understand that after you did feel better, you then donated your own plasma, and now you're a leader on the research team that's looking at the value of infusing plasma. It's such an incredible story, maybe not in your mind, because it's just, it's probably second nature for you because you're a giver, Anna Maria. It's so clear in your whole story. Um, tell us a little bit about the plasma and um, the plasma program uh, at Jeff, the research and how patients can donate their plasma if they're able to? Yeah, so it's been a huge undertaking, you know, that um, lots of people at Jefferson from every level have contributed their time and effort to making this happen. Um, you know, it didn't start with me. It actually started with um, Dr. Karp at the Blood Donor Center. Um, and so we had we've been working together since I, I want to say it's, it was literally less than a week after I was out of the hospital that this whole team just coalesced um, to bring together and, and make these protocols work based on kind of the FDA regulations and rules. Um, and it's been amazing. And, um, you know, if people are interested in that 
you know, in donating convalescent plasma for patients who have recovered from COVID or participating in any of our other COVID-related studies, they can go to jeffersonhealth.org slash COVID plasma. And okay, there, there's a registration form and patients can uh, and can sign up. And so when we have this study open or any other studies open, people can register. Beautiful. And I want to say quickly that you received both Randesivir and plasma early on. And your message was when you feel really sick, go, because the earlier you get treated, the more effective these meds. And finally, when a Jefferson patient is discharged, they are given to take home a pulse ox, that little clip that you told us about earlier, so they can monitor their oxygen levels at home. And they're given a blood pressure cuff right at the bedside. They don't have to stop on their way home. Thank you, Anna Marie. We are so fortunate to have you. God bless you. Stay well. And we really admire all the work you've done. I'm proud to call you a Jefferson colleague. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. And we're back. And now I welcome Dr. Judd Hollander, a professor of emergency medicine, the senior vice president for health delivery innovation and an associate dean of strategic health initiatives, as well as the vice chair of finance and healthcare enterprises, all at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. Judd, welcome. It's so good to have you here today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. One of our new staples in our medical lingo is telehealth. And we are so fortunate at Jefferson that really our system was up and running before the pandemic. Thank goodness. The work began in 2014 and went live in 2015. Could you tell us a little more about your leadership role? Um, Yes. So I was challenged by Steve Clasco, our president and CEO, to come create a telemedicine program. And Steve is an exceptionally visionary leader. He wasn't visionary enough to know that COVID was going to hit and we're going to have a pandemic. But we basically believed that care was going to change to more the way we do everything else. And if you could order everything you want online, and you could do that even five years ago in 2015, why would we not want to deliver medical care online so you can remain in your own home? from the safety of comfort with your family members nearby and not have to drive into the city and not have to fight through parking. And there will be times that people want in-person care, but let's give patients their choice. Sure. And uh, with COVID, now that you mentioned that, what type of increase of uh, patients have you seen coming into the ED? Into the ED or into telemedicine? Uh, Both, I guess, because I know you're using telemedicine in the ED, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we've actually used telemedicine throughout the whole spectrum of patient care, and it's probably worth me stepping back for a minute to describe some of the ways we've used it. So when we began the program, unlike other people who would toy with it in a little area and see if it worked, we went all in at once. So we provided for the public and for people who work at Jefferson the opportunity to see an ER doc 24-7, 365 via telemedicine. You just go to either one of the app stores or your computer, go to jeffconnect.org or download the Jeff Connect app, and we have people there around the clock who can see you, and the wait is typically two to five minutes. 
So you will see a real ER doc, but you can see them by video from the comfort of, of, of your own home. We also had a program that we rolled out across all of Jefferson so that almost every provider or at least every specialty would be able to see patients within their specialty. So if you needed a cardiologist or a pulmonologist or an allergist or a rheumatologist or your primary care doc, they could see you by video calls as well. And then the other big program that that we had in the emergency department itself is we had a program that would prevent the long wait in the waiting room when you showed up at the emergency department. And we cut our waiting time down from something really long to nine minutes until you could see a doctor by putting a video screen effectively at the front door. And as soon as you walked in, you would be screened by a triage nurse or a medical assistant or tech and then see the doctor on the video screen. The doc would do a history and physical exam briefly and order all your tests or whatever test they thought you needed. Then as the tests were unfolding and you were waiting for test results, you would then go into the main emergency department where an in-person provider, physician or nurse practitioner would see you, but it would speed up the whole process. These things all existed before COVID. And we would do a couple hundred of them a day across all of those things. When COVID hit, literally overnight, we had a 20-fold increase in our on-demand program, and we had a 50-fold increase in the use of scheduled visits. And we are exceptionally proud that when our patients were too afraid to come into the city appropriately because of COVID, we were still able to care for 60 or 70 percent of our patients by video visit. So we were able to provide care not just for the patients that had COVID, but we were also able to provide care for the patients that had chronic medical problems and didn't have COVID. And at that point, were a little afraid they might catch COVID if they came to the hospital. Of course, we now know how to deal with COVID. We have the appropriate PPE, and it's totally safe to go back to your doctor's office or to go to the emergency department. Sure. Well, what's interesting, uh, so many things that you mentioned that are interesting. Number one, for our listeners, that website, if you want to uh, get a telehealth visit with Jefferson, is jeffconnect.org. I think that we'll repeat that several times as we go along here. But we spoke earlier in the show about this national uh, trend that we're seeing that people are afraid to come to the ER or they think, gosh, they're so busy, my symptoms are mild, it can wait. It's so reassuring to know that even a telehealth visit gets you started because then that ER doc, a specialist in emergency medicine, can listen to your story and, and check your breathing. We're, we're going to talk about the creative ways you can tell us how we can do a physical exam in, in many respects with telehealth. And then if then you say, hey, listen, this can't wait. Get here right now. You know, so I love your explanation for that as well. Um, I think, too, with the big spike in cases of COVID, needing more hospital care, the other really helpful thing with telehealth is, let's say you have physicians on staff that have their own uh, chronic illnesses like asthma or hypertension and may not be uh, the right choice for covering emergency room or intensive care. They can do telehealth visits. They can help with the big um, rise in cases that need to be examined by telehealth or people that are in quarantine because they've been exposed, you know, docs who are in quarantine because they've been exposed, you know or maybe even retired docs we were asking to help. So the whole um, innovation of telehealth, and thank goodness you were there to implement it uh, because it's made a big, big difference for us and our patients. 
Well, you know, it, it really just gives options to everybody. I, I mean, we had rolled out a program a couple of years ago really to deal with snow days so that if you had a doctor's appointment on a Thursday and it snowed, we figured out how we could convert that in-person visit to a telehealth visit. Now, now frankly, that wasn't used a lot because operationalizing something once a year is hard for people to remember. But sure. actually, this week and this last week, while we have these protests going on for racial equality, which are a good protests to be having and a really important discussion to have, the city is also a little bit walled off, and it's really hard to get to your doctor. But sure. right now, we're able to flip that switch and convert those in-person visits to a telehealth visit so we could both lobby for social justice as we should and still be able to provide care to the patients that need it. True. Now, you know, I use telehealth with my patients, and sometimes uh, we're not, not able to connect. Either the patient's having difficulty or sometimes we don't have a connection. And some people, are, you know, patients ask, can we use FaceTime? How do you feel about that, FaceTime on their cell phones? Well, you know, this is a really interesting thing. So generally, there are guidelines on what you need to do for telemedicine that fall within the state medical board and, and state regulations. It got a bit confusing when there were federal relaxation of regulations and the Fed said, not exactly, but pretty close to, you could do any video thing you want and we will reimburse for it and we won't have the Office of the Inspector General come after you for doing that. But in many states, you are required to do certain steps that don't exist when you use FaceTime or don't use other what I'll call non-traditional telemedicine platforms. So for a place like Jefferson and my colleagues across the country that had pre-existing telemedicine programs, we, we understand how it was a great thing for the feds to relax the guidelines. But we also understand how it created enormous confusion because it doesn't mean the states okay those guidelines and all of this falls under state control. So we think generally the idea for telemedicine is, and most states, you need to consent for telemedicine, which is the terms of use checkbox that you read before you go into the app. In most states, you're required to have a secure platform that can't get hacked into. Um, so there are platforms that are specific for that. In many states, you're required to document in a medical record so the platforms have a medical record. You should send patients discharge summaries so they can recall what the doctor told them, right? Mm -hmm. We know, and every listener knows you walk out of a doctor's office and you're not 100% sure of everything you were just told, and, and you're given papers to look over. Many of these you know, rapidly implemented, easy-to-use telemedicine platforms, they don't do any of those things. And so it's an easy way to do the video visit, but it's not a good way to tie together complete and comprehensive care. Yeah. And so we're, we're reasonably sure they'll disappear when the, this pandemic and disaster is declared over. So I think the idea is if you can use a regular telemedicine platform, you should. But if it's the only way you can get care and you need care, do whatever you can. Sure. And, and as you mentioned, uh, it's more secure. We have about two minutes, Judd. Tell us, as medical students, we were taught hands-on medicine. That's the way to go. What are the creative ways that we can use telehealth that still give us a good idea of the physical exam. I can't put my hands on your belly, but I have to figure out why you have pain. Tell us a little bit about that. So I might actually be able to do hands-on, but it might not be my hands. So many people we see, in fact, most of them live with somebody else. 
And so if we could position the tablet or the computer or the phone in such a position and I can teach mom or dad or brother or sister or a loved one how to feel your belly, I can watch what your facial reaction is and I could talk to you where somebody is pushing on your belly. And we can do really, really well figuring that out. Now, I don't want for a minute to tell you telemedicine is everything and can take care of everything. But in my day job, when I work in the emergency department and I'm not doing telemedicine, people roll through the door really sick, and I don't always know what's wrong with them. And I might need a CAT scan, an X-ray, or a consult. The same is true in telemedicine. I can take care of most people on telemedicine, but I need to be smart enough to know when I do need to touch the patient or I do need an X-ray or I do need a lab. But as you do this as a physician, you learn many creative ways. And what you do is employ whoever else is in the house or whoever else is with the patient to be your hands on that patient. And you can do really well. And we've diagnosed a bunch of people that need to go to the operating room by employing someone else's hands to do that. And then we bring them into the hospital and we have sped up their care. Beautiful. And and as you say, at least if you have that face-to-face telehealth visit, you have at least a chance to say, you have to come to the emergency room. I'm urgent to you. I'm I'm begging you because, um, and sometimes you learn a lot about a patient when you see them in their environment, like the behavior of a child, if they have ADHD, or or you can look at a rash on the screen, or if somebody says, I have a really bad headache, and you ask them to jump up and down, and they can't do it, you know that's a bad headache. Or you can see somebody who's short of breath versus comfortable. Well, I think, as you say, Judd, long after the pandemic subsides, telehealth will be a mainstay and a good one, and we'll become more skilled in knowing how to use the the, the telehealth system and and make it secure and provide those connections to primary care docs after we see them. So um, it's wonderful what you've been able to do for Jefferson, and uh, we're learning a lot. So thank you, and we'll be back after this break. All right. Thank you. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. Dr. Marianne will return, but first, a medical message from one of our partners. And we're back with Dr. Judd Hollander, emergency medicine physician from Jefferson, a leader in healthcare innovation and strategy. And Judd, we heard great things about telehealth medicine. Can you tell us a little bit about the urgent care centers that Jefferson has? Yeah, so I think urgent care is another thing that gets underutilized in this day. So we have seven urgent care centers, uh, including a couple in Center City, a couple in the Northeast, and some in the Abington Territory. And this is a great, really convenient way to get care. Um, what, what urgent care offers is the ability to get some simple lab tests, the ability to get x-ray, the ability to have a physician evaluate you, And our hours extend more than many primary care practices. So we are open generally or will be shortly open 8 to 6 on all weekends. And we're open for 12 hours, 8 to 8 during the weekdays. So people could get in after work hours, in the early morning hours before work, and get a good evaluation rather than wait to be seen in a couple days through a scheduled office visit if they have new acute problems. Sure. And and what's good about that is, uh, let's say somebody lives right near an urgent care and they do have worrisome symptoms or signs of heart attack or stroke, you're going to connect them and say, hey, hospital, you're going to jumpstart and call the hospital and triage them and say, please be ready to accept them and, and get them there faster than if they had driven themselves, certainly. 
Right. Well, you know, we would prefer if you think you're having a heart attack or a stroke, you call 911 and go to the hospital. Of course. But we can, we can help, you know, both telehealth that we were talking about and urgent care. We can help people sort things out and determine whether they need to go to the ER. A lot of people wait a long time before going to the ER. Many of them have symptoms, even if it's a heart attack, for three hours before they go there. If there's an easier way to get evaluated faster that will activate, you, you know, your threshold to get seen, we might not be the ideal place to take care of you, but we could get you the first medicine, call the ambulance, and maybe you get to see us faster rather than sit at home waiting to say, is it bad enough to go to the ER? Oh, exactly. And we know it's human nature to deny or say, oh, this can't be a heart attack. It must be indigestion. And I understand, too, that um, there it seems like COVID has peaked, at least for now. Maybe we'll see another spike. Um, but the urgent cares have another great service that you've set up that patients who want to have antibody testing to see if maybe they were exposed and they didn't have symptoms, that you're coordinating that through the urgent cares. Tell us a little bit about that in our final few seconds. Yeah, so what, you know, what we want to do in urgent care is provide, you know, confidence for people and, and decrease uncertainty as best we can. Do you need stitches? Well, we could stitch you up. Do you need, you know, antibiotics? Well, we could determine whether you need antibiotics. And with respect to COVID, if you want to know whether you've been exposed and have antibodies, we'll, we'll you know, do an assessment of you and get the antibody tests off. And, you know, that will give you a level of confidence or at least some knowledge uh, about whether whether or not you've been exposed before. Well, and that's great access because it will take a lot of worry off of people's minds and it also allows them to go back to work. Thank you so much, Dr. Judd Hollander from Jefferson. And if you would like to uh, do telehealth or have access, you can download the free app Jeff Connect or on your computer, go to jeffconnect.org. Dr. Judd Hollander, stay well and continue the wonderful work that you do to help so many people. All right. Be safe, Marianne. Thank you for having me on. Take care. Thank you. Now, your real champions. I call this segment, The Doctor is In. March 17 is usually a day when we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Everyone is Irish on that day. But this year, for Dr. Anna-Marie Chang, an emergency medicine physician at Jefferson University Hospital, the day would take a different turn. While busy with her usual routine, she noticed a dry cough. It was mild, she told herself. In the quickly changing timeline of COVID-19, it was relatively early. It was just one day after the president announced the 15 days to stop the spread campaign. But her colleagues from the emergency department said, just get tested. So she did. She had to leave after work and go to the city testing site. By end of day, she was achy and had fever. She followed the rules like a good patient. She isolated in a separate area of her home, and despite exhausting symptoms, she continued to work from her sickbed, seeing patients on telehealth. Of course, she could relate to them. Her breathing became labored. She spent four days in the hospital. She had seen people die of COVID-19, and now this doctor was a patient. Of course, she felt very sick. Of course, she was lonely. Of course, she was afraid. She was stable enough to leave the hospital on Saturday, and by Tuesday, you guessed it, back doing Zoom meetings with her colleagues. She didn't ask for more time off. She didn't complain about being sick. She used her energy and skills to help other COVID patients. That first day when she had symptoms, she could have taken public transportation. Nope. She didn't know if her test was positive, but to avoid the spread just in case, she walked a mile and a half home with cough and fever. Right there. 
thoughtful, caring. When she became very ill, she didn't cough inside a car with an Uber driver. She called an ambulance as a responsible move. And while still recovering, she jumped back into patient care with telehealth. Then she made it a point to donate her own plasma so others could benefit from her antibodies. And of course, she then became a leader in the Jefferson program, which asked patients to donate plasma and now conducts research to study the benefits of plasma infusions in sick COVID patients. One last thing, Dr. Chang was so careful about isolation that even her boyfriend, when tested recently, shows no trace of COVID and has negative antibodies. Dr. Anna Marie Chang, her last name is spelled C-H-A-N-G. If you add one letter, the letter E, her name becomes change. When you listen to a story like this about a woman who's dedicated, resilient, and grateful, maybe it'll help all of us change. After living through the hardships of the pandemic, maybe we'll become more resilient and grateful and focus on what's really important. For this week, your real champion is Dr. Anna Marie Chang. Remember, if you have chest pain, dizziness, blurry vision, signs of weakness, call 911. If it's a stroke or heart attack, minutes make a difference. There's a website, American Heart Association. It's called heart.org. If you want to share a story about a real champion or send a picture of the American flag waving in front of your home or business, or send me questions that I can answer on the next show. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.